welcome to another episode of Thinking Like a Bank, where we show you how to think like a bank by applying the same strategies and principles that banks use to help you find more financial freedom in your life. I'm your host, Sarah Ibrahim. Today, I'm interviewing George Roberts. Before devoting himself to commercial real estate, George worked as an award-winning data scientist and bioscientist with over 700 citations in the field of microbiology and physiology. Deciding that he didn't look handsome in a lab coat, he turned his attention to the dashing world of entrepreneurship. George repurposed his analytical firepower to make housing, economics, macroeconomics, and finance fun and exciting as a data scientist of real estate on his YouTube channel. George is also a principal at Roberts Capital Enterprises, which sponsors value-add multifamily opportunities in the Southeast and Midwest for qualified passive investors. In addition to his over 300 units as an active multifamily investor, he is also an avid passive investor. His passive investments include 547 multifamily units, as well as a series of car washes, early stage companies, and a drug rehab facility. When he's not running one of his active investments, you can find George Hosting, The Foundry, where leaders are forged daily, a podcast devoted to the role that entrepreneurship, leadership, and mindset play in success in commercial real estate space. He also hosts the weekly show CRE Network and Noon Eastern, which is a meetup for investors and other commercial real estate players every Wednesday and Noon Eastern. George, welcome to our podcast. Well, thank you, Siri. It's great great to be here. I'm happy you're here. Glad to interview you and get to know you a little bit more. I know I was on your podcast recently. I think it was like a month ago. It was. just came out a couple of weeks ago. Turned out very nicely. Good. Very nice. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm happy that now you get to share your story with our audience. Uh, So let's start with that. I want to know more about your story and your background. Yeah, sure. I started out in bioscience. I became an award-winning data scientist and just started surveying the world of finance for the best place to invest my cash. And I hit on multifamily real estate. Now, I'd already been a landlord for many years, almost a decade at that point, but realized that the economies of scale were something that was going to make this second round of real estate for me much more productive and so I jumped into value-add multifamily, where I've been for over three years. Got it. And tell us more about your experience. And so like, for those who don't know, what, what is data science? And because I'm kind of, I'm really curious about that. That's why I'm asking. Sure. Data science is all about taking the mass of data that exists in the world and making sense of it. So every year it's gotten cheaper and cheaper to store data. You used to have these floppy disks that that would fit in your pocket and you could hardly store anything on them. Now your phone might have a terabyte. And so with the decrease in the cost of storage of data, the ability to process it at scale has grown in importance. And now that we have so much data and, and, and obviously because we have a means of disseminating it through the internet so easily, this ability to analyze data has never been more important, never more lucrative. And then do you see that play a big role in, in, in your real estate activities now? Absolutely, in two ways. So first of all, my own analyses, first of all, starting out as a heavily cited bioscientist, it's huge to go and get an advanced degree and learn how to become a, a real problem solver, data analyst, et cetera. That definitely impacts the way that I do look at deals. But more than anything, uh, when I go out and I create content and I'm looking to Uh, reach out and find new people, new investors, new partners. That's exactly what I do to be relatable. I'm the data scientist of real estate and I go out and I analyze housing data 
macroeconomics and I want to make it fun mm -hmm. because a lot of the people that do that, they're either not making it fun or if you take a look at the cable shows, yeah. uh, it's very entertaining, but it's not very deep. So I think that there's, there's a huge niche that's very unexplored. Uh, make it entertaining, make it deep, make it fun. It can be a little longer, but still uh, short enough to be exciting. That makes a lot of sense. I could see how the data part would come in with being able to analyze data. It's also very similar to other types of businesses, right? Like one big part of other businesses and marketing is getting to know the uh, the target market, getting to know the problem, the the solution, the the financials behind it. So really understanding the, the numbers, uh, it, it's almost like a story. You could find out more about the story through the through the numbers and the data. So I think that part makes a lot of sense. And I also think that how you mentioned economies of scale, right? A lot of a lot of people when they think of being a landlord, they think of owning one property, like a, a single family home or a two unit right. unit property, and then they rent it out. And then it's really easy to max out your time and your energy with just a few properties. Whereas in the multifamily world, in the syndication world, self-storage, other types of commercial real estate, you could really scale. You could, you know, you could buy a property that's 200 units and mitigate concentration risk. So if like, you know. 5% leave, you're still in business, you know, whereas in other types of property. So I, I, I get that. Now, how, what were, what were kind of some of your initial steps for launching your fund, launching your first syndication and, or, or your first interaction with investors? Starting small, everybody says start with a hundred or more. And that's a great way to go. Particularly if you've got a great big mentor or you've identified a large sponsor that can help you take down the deals. But while we were looking for those big deals, we found a 14 unit joint venture in Orlando, Florida. Things gone amazing for us. Uh, we had great tailwinds with the rents. And so starting small like that, we were able to grow very, very fast. And when I say starting small, I'm talking about 14 units here. Yeah, A lot of people, right, you, you can start with just one and that's a great way to start. So I would never say there's a certain number of units. Oh yeah, you better start with this number. Forget about anything less. Yeah. And from there, uh, went on, became a co-GP, uh, a GP and a, and a separate deal. Uh, and then another GP deal, done other joint ventures along the way. But it you know, it really is the law of the first deal. As Michael Blanc says, You know, once you get that first deal, you understand how it works and you get taken seriously by the network. It's a completely different matter when you call the broker in a new uh, real estate market, and you've already got one. They know mm -hmm. that you're serious, right? Mm -hmm. So, so get that first deal. Doesn't matter how big it is, five or more, you're already in commercial, and then just expand from there. Got it. And, and how have how have things been happening, changing over the last like probably two years now with with the interest rates? How has it changed your business as well as your the next projects you're taking on? Well, the reminder that the future is always uncertain, and wouldn't it be nice if we could have low and stable rates? For longer, but it was not to be. And so all these people who said cap rates are not are nothing, you know, go for this the smallest cap rate because then when you add one dollar of NOI, it's gonna have the biggest impact. That sounded crazy at the time. Mm -hmm. Now it sounds ludicrous. <laughs> and so people really have to pay a lot more attention to who they're listening to. First of all, I would say all the advice out there has a shelf life. Uh some things change faster than others. But be really careful when you're talking about uh, markets from a few years back. The best markets a few years ago are the worst ones right now, or at least the apparently best ones a few years ago. I think those of us who understand volatility, and if you get out on, say, fred.stlouisfed.org, take a look at Fred. Fred will tell you 
all you need to know about real estate, macroeconomics, et cetera, you can see that some markets are just more volatile than others. Mm -hmm. And you really, you got to be very careful. You know, when you get in a market like, like that, hey, did I did I judge the bottom correctly? Nobody can very easily judge the bottom. Uh, but if, you, if you're getting in when they're already hot and potentially very overheated, these volatile markets can be very, very dangerous. So you want to look at the same demographics everyone else is looking at. But again, I would say take a wider view as well and ask yourself, you know, hey, am I in a relatively stable Midwest market or are we talking about something crazy like Las Vegas, Nevada that has wild swings? Mm -hmm. Got it. And how can you can you tell us a little bit more about like a recent project or a recent property you're working on? Like if you're comfortable sharing like recent rate, rates of return, cash on cash returns. Um, I think that I, I'm just kind of curious now how those returns are looking. And I'm sure the audience probably too are are, are curious as well. Right, right. So then, um, you know, can't really do that for my, all my projects here because, uh, you know, without exits, and I, I like to hang on, holding on is good, that uh, you can calculate a theoretical IRR. Uh, that is to say, if you could sell in the current market. And uh, those look pretty good. But obviously, what I would say, it's not so much that the IRRs have changed. Yes, they have. But it's really more the the hold times. I mean, if you've got a project that's essentially ready to go, you could refinance it or sell it. Well, you're probably better refinancing, holding on to it and waiting for the market to firm up. That makes sense. So if you had a property, you can either sell it, refinance it, hold on to it. But the problem is, I think one of the problems right now is the rates are going up. The adjustable rates are going up. And that could put you put you in a situation where you might have to sell if you can't refinance, right? Well, I've always favored conservative financing. So I like fixed financing wherever possible. And I also like seller financing because a lot of times you can get below market rates. Like I got one deal three years ago, 4%. Uh, I got one in late 2021 at three and a half. And no one was giving you commercial mortgages, particularly not on something that required some repositioning or which had repositioning the plan at three and a half percent. So uh, the terms on these can also be extraordinary. Uh, I'm in one seller financing deal right now where the term is seven years. And to get all, all of these things together, no prepayment penalty, below market interest rates, and a long term. You just don't find that. And then for those who don't know, seller financing is essentially the seller is like the bank, right? That's what it means. Exactly. And I'm glad you brought that up because when I'm talking about how do you sell these things these days, well, one of the things you might have to do, you might have to offer seller financing. And that's not easy. I mean, if you own it, like say free and clear, you you can you can do that. But when you're bringing other investors in, you're probably leveraging so you can get... Uh, you can juice the IRR a little bit and mm -hmm. you don't really have that option. So what are you going to do if you're a syndicator? Really, you've just got to wait and hang on until it, it makes sense to sell. A lot of the deals that are done now, right, right now, they are uh, being done with seller financing. Again, part of that is because it's it's really hard to sell these deals. Banks are pulling back. They're not as aggressive as they used to be in the past. And that's why I say, if you can sell it, right, there may be a theoretical cap rate. And if you're willing to hang on in the market until you get that, sure, you know what it is and you can calculate the IRR. That makes sense. And who are you typically, I guess, who are you typically work with as far as the investors? Sure. A range of people that I've known for a long time. I mean, I am focusing on uh, bringing in the data geeks with the data scientists, the real estate shtick. But really, though, uh, a pretty broad base 
I mean, I can't say that I'm just going after former professionals, et cetera. Yeah. I don't have, I'm casting a bit of a wider net and, and maybe because I do have a lot of things going. So I am a passive investor. I'm an active investor. I'm looking for active partners. I'm always out there for various reasons. And I think that uh, for various reasons, it may have made more sense for me to cast a somewhat wider net than many people do. Yeah. I, I had the same philosophy in my business, right? Like it's very difficult to say that I'm just going to go after, you know, this type of profession or this geographic yeah. area. Um, it's limiting and it's uncertain. Uh, so if you can kind of go a little bit a wider cast, like like you're doing, I think that that definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, how can you kind of walk us through like if somebody reaches out to you, um, what are some what are some of the things they could I guess learn or or, or experience working with you? Sure, I suppose you're talking first on the active side, and I am willing to offer a certain amount of mentorship. So if people might be newer. Uh, might be your first deal, or you may just be doing a larger deal than you're accustomed to doing, I would say definitely reach out to me. Uh, once you have your underwriting, once it passes your checks, I'm willing to take a look at it and see if I can help people. So what can I do for them? Well, I have a decent net worth. I could potentially be a KP uh, working on wrapping up a uh, Freddie mm -hmm. Mac loan right now, small balance, which will help me in that respect. So I can add some net worth to the team. Mm -hmm. uh, I may also be willing to contribute some risk capital, for example. Mm -hmm. I do invest in all the deals. I do invest my own funds in all of my active deals too. So I can I can provide funds. And again, I don't necessarily want every deal that comes down the pike. Uh, I'm again, also looking uh, to invest passively. So on the active side, many things, starting with mentorship, checking the underwriting, et cetera, and moving on through uh, supporting the deal in uh, throughout the acquisitions, due diligence, and even asset management. Got it. Okay, sounds good. And and George, how can the listeners connect with you and learn more about you? So a few ways. I'm very active on LinkedIn, and if you just want to learn more about uh, what I'm doing, you can come find me at robertscapitalenterprises.com or at YouTube at uh, George Roberts the Third. That's uh, George Roberts, III. Okay, I'll be sure to add in those links in the show notes below. Thanks for coming on our podcast and I'm looking forward to having you back on. That would be amazing. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Siri. Thank you. To learn more about what we do and how we can help you grow more wealth, please visit www.finassetprotection.com. That's F-I-N, assetprotection.com. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.